0: The ending of Mark focuses more on the disciples and their reaction to the resurrection (coughs) rather than the resurrection itself. So as we read this last section, you'll notice that it was sort of just following the disciples. The assumption is that Jesus rose from the dead, especially since he told us over and over and over it was going to happen. But now we get to the point where it happens and the, the focus is on the disciples. And we start out with failure. Fear and failure and unbelief. And then you get to the end, we see faithless. Death of Christ was not the end story. But as the gospel art pressed, the disciples mortified that they were now to Christ with a throne in Jerusalem and the blessings of the kingdom would enter in there um, in the millennial kingdom at that time. And then Jesus dies and the disciples who had followed Jesus and saw him do all these things disperse and then just a series of unfaithful, unbelieving acts. But that was not the end of the story. If Christ had died, remained to him, it would have been as a very sad deal. And you probably even know it. But the fact is, the real Christ Judge, and powers, and rest his. and because Christ rose from the dead, the story didn't end, but it renewed. The story continues on. As followers of the risen Christ, let us never be ruled by fear of the world. Unbelief. Let us bold to proclaim them and follow them. All days our life. and let the church be a, a business to the power of the resurrected Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at it from um, four, different, or four different sections of this text. We're going to see uh, curiosity and courage from the women in the first section, then the comforting message of the messenger there at the tomb. Then We're going to think about the doubting disciples and then the devoted disciples. And what made the difference? So the Lord Jesus Christ cried out and gave up the ghost. The veil of the temple was torn in two. The centurion declared that Jesus was the Son of God. And we panned out and saw the veil tear in two. We came back to Calvary. But if we leave that scene or just pan out a little bit further, watching afar off where the women. It was the Marys. There's lots of Marys in the scripture. So it was the Marys and several other women. Uh, These women mentioned in the text have been with the Lord from very early on. Galilean women. That's where Mark starts. Um, Jesus coming down from Galilee Baptized and going back to Galilee. Well, these Galilean women were followers of Jesus from those very early days. And they ministered unto him and they served him over the last three years. And so while while Jesus was being crucified, they were watching, but they were watching afar off. Kind of like Peter was watching afar off, warming himself by the fire. Well, it's getting late in the evening. And now we leave that scene and go... to to where Pilate's at, because it was the preparation before Sabbath. The Jews wanted Pilate to break the legs of the the three condemned so they wouldn't be dead on the Sabbath hanging on a cross during a holy day, which no work could be done. So um, if if they died on the Sabbath, then they would stay on the, the tree to the Sabbath and they didn't want to pollute the land. Now, if you look in Deuteronomy 21, this is why they wanted that to happen. Deuteronomy 21, 22. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is a of God. That thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And so they didn't want these condemned to Die on the Sabbath, and they didn't want to break the Sabbath. I mean, that would be bad. So they, they wanted Pilate to break the legs of the, the condemned. That way they would die early. And then they would take him down off the, the cross because they didn't want the land to be defiled. But what could be worse than executing their own Messiah, executing the Christ? Through wicked scheming. And they're concerned about defiling the land. They're concerned about the consequences of leaving him up overnight. Well, they wouldn't want God to be angry, would they? They wouldn't want God to to bring a, a curse upon them. It's just remarkable how religion can make one focus on the, the gnats while swallowing camels. They weren't concerned about the fact that they murdered someone. They weren't, con- fa- they weren't concerned about the fact that they bared false witness and they lied and that their, their king had come and they betrayed him into the hands of the Romans. Though no, we don't want him to we don't want him to bring a curse of God for for this. But the truth is Jesus was made a curse. The truth is, he did die for sin, just not his. The truth is, Christ was made a curse for us because the law condemned us and not him. It was our corruption that was punished here, it was our sin. And Paul makes that connection in Galatians 3 12 through 14. He says, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So yes, he that hung on that tree was a curse, but he was a curse for us. And it wasn't because the land wasn't defiled because of this one action. The land was defiled because of sin. That's why Jesus said the temple had become a den of thieves. The, the land had been defiled because of their idolatry, because they had the, the people had left the true and living God. And now the Lord Jesus Christ comes as the sin bearer, bears the curse in his own body for us and paid the penalty, ransomed us through his own blood, that we, even us Gentiles, might receive the promise of Abraham, Abraham. Now, I'm not expecting that I'll have, uh, you know, land in this life, right? I'm not expecting that. What's the promise of, A- A- of Abraham? It is the promises of Christ. That well, we receive Christ. We receive um, the adoption of sons. Not by keeping the law, but by faith in Christ. They were concerned about, even now, concerned that... They had to keep the minutia of the law in order that they might receive blessing from God, that they not receive the curse. But the the reality is their sin had defiled the land, that they were sinners. And they didn't need to just keep obeying the law that God might bless them. What they needed to do was turn to Christ and believe upon him. He was a curse for us that so we have life in him. He died in our place that we would have rest in him. They were concerned about the preparation before the Sabbath. But here Christ was dying that we might have rest, true rest, true, eternal rest. They thought that they could not work one day a week and then God would bless them and bless their land. But the only rest, true rest, that we can have and, and what the Sabbath was always intended to, to picture is the rest that we have in God through Christ. So we, even here, they miss that Christ was a curse for us. Well, back in Mark, in verse 43, um, these, we, we shift scenes, and, and Joseph of Arimathea was an honorable counselor, waiting for the Kingdom of God. And then he does something we haven't seen in a long while, boldness, courage. The disciples fled, the women are standing afar off. Pilate was a coward and and did whatever the Jews told him to do. The Jews, the chief priests, they feared the people and so they would do whatever they thought the people would want. And they would manipulate the people so they wouldn't get in trouble. But here we have someone with decisive courage and boldness. Despite what it might cost him to be associated with Jesus, despite what the Jews might say to him, he goes in and he says, I would like the body of Jesus to be taken down and given an honorable burial. I don't want him to to hang there. He was put to death unjustly. The least you can do is let me take him down off that cross and, and bury him. Well, Pilate was shocked, not by the request, but that he was already dead. I read that sometimes it could take days, even up to a week, for a crucified person to die. Because it was just a slow, torturous death. And so... Pilate couldn't believe he was already dead, that he sent the centurions to verify and he came back and, and Pilate said, okay, yes, you can, you can take him down and, and bury Joseph was bold in not caring what would happen to him because at this point, you know, that's why Peter deny Jesus because any association with Jesus was going to get you, uh, you you know you're with him and if the leader goes down then they're going to be more bold to persecute anyone who follows him and you see that in the book of Acts but Joseph of Arimathea did what was right he had the courage of his convictions to go and, and to, to do what was correct in the eyes of the one who had sentenced him to death said, I am with Jesus and he needs to be buried. So it was boldness and courage. Joseph took the body of our Lord, wrapped it in linen, and laid him in a sepulchre. Jesus was buried in a tomb that was cut out of a rock and they rolled a big stone in front of it. Um, he was buried. All while this was going on, the women were still watching. They're still afar off, they're still curiously watching what's going on, they follow the scene, they saw they saw the body being taken down, they saw the preparation of the body, they saw Joseph wrap him up, they saw him laid in the tomb, they noted where he was laid, and they're taking note. The king has died and he's been buried. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and when he was born she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The angelic host praised him praising God saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. The opening of Luke you see the the joy um, of the angelic host praising that the Savior was born. Now He's wrapped in linen and laid in a tomb. The king, the Messiah, has died. Starting in chapter 16, we get this comforting message now. So after the Sabbath, the Mary's brought some sweet spices to come and anoint the body of Jesus. Because Joseph hadn't done that. But we remember it's already been done by the woman at Simon's house with the ointment of the alabaster box. Because Jesus said of her in Mark fourteen eight, she had done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burial. So Jesus said, Jesus knew that he would not be anointed after his burial. And, and this woman anointed Jesus with that oil in that alabaster box. And he told them, not only did he tell them that he was going to die, and not only did he, uh, you know, not only did he prophesy all the things that was going to happen, he even uh, said that, "My body won't be anointed at my burial." And so she's pre-anointing my body for burial. But this is out of the mind of the Marys, or maybe they didn't, <clears throat> didn't realize. Some people think that one of these ladies is the same woman at Simon's house, but it doesn't say. But anyway, that's what they're doing, and so it's very early on the first day of the week. They come to the sun, the the tomb as the sun is rising, but they hadn't been thinking clearly, or at least they didn't think through um, their plan because they were going to get there and anoint the body with oil, and they're going to do it real early, right? Because these women have been afar off the whole time; they watched the crucifixion afar off. They watched Joseph afar off. They they weren't involved in that. They're just standing back watching as not to be detected. So they get there very early before anybody could see them. But then said, hey, how are we going to move that stone? They didn't think about that. That big stone was rolled in front of it. And these women weren't, weren't strong enough to move it. That's how big it was. But when they get there, the great big stone was rolled away. It was already moved. And they go in inside the tomb and look and there was a young man sitting in a long white garment. And that terrified the women. I'd, I'd probably been afraid too. They, you go in expecting to see a dead body. They weren't expecting to see a risen savior. They weren't expecting to see an angel sitting there and the, the grave empty. It's this curious man, I believe, was, was an angel clothed in a long white garment. So not only was Jesus gone, but this man sitting there in that long white garment inside the empty tomb. Well, in verse 6, he said, Be not afraid. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, he is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him as he said unto you. The Gospel opens with John the Baptist in camel's hair like a prophet, announcing the coming of the Messiah. As the Lord comes from Galilee down to the banks of the Jordan River. Now at the end of the book, another heavenly messenger clothed in white announces the going of the Lord. The Lord has risen and now he's gone before you to Galilee. There's a little bit of a parallel there that John was a messenger sent by God with a divine message that the Messiah has come into the world. He's come down from Galilee Listen to him. And now this messenger sent from God tells the women the Lord has ascended or the Lord has risen. And now you go tell the disciples because he has gone before you in the Galilee. Sort of a a repeat of of what happened at the beginning. The Lord has risen. He's not here. He's in Galilee. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. He is alive. It's not a parable. It's not a metaphor for something. His body rose from the dead. His cold, dead body, he began to breathe. His body lifted up. He laid his garments down, the the linens that he was wrapped in, and he is alive. Just like he told you. Mark Fourteen twenty-eight says, Jesus said, and after that, I am risen. I will go before you in the Galilee. So Jesus told them, I'm going to die and be buried. And this is the, the anointing of my body because I'm not, I will be anointed after my death. Then he says, I'm going to be risen. And when I'm risen, I'm going to go ahead of you and I'll meet up with you in Galilee. So where did they go to look for the Lord? Well, Peter and James and John didn't go look for the Lord. The women came to look for the Lord at the tomb. Where did Jesus say he was going to be? Jesus said, I'll go before you into Galilee. That's where Jesus said that he would meet them. Jesus told them exactly what would happen, and they didn't believe him. He told them exactly what he was going to do, and they didn't believe him. He told them that he would die and they wouldn't hear it. He told them that he would rise from the dead and they wouldn't believe it. He told them that he would rise from the dead and meet them in Galilee. But where are they? Not in Galilee waiting for him. They didn't believe him. So in verses 8 through 14, where you see the doubting disciples. The messenger told them, go your way tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you in the Galilee and there you shall see him as he said unto you. But they went out quickly and ran from the tomb. They trembled. They were afraid. They said nothing because they were afraid. This messenger of comfort had come and say, your Lord is risen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of the situation. The Lord is risen. Jesus lives. Your Savior lives. Now go tell Peter and his disciples. What did they do with that word of comfort? Well, they ran. And they didn't believe it. Why did they not believe it? Because they didn't tell anybody. Why did they not tell anybody? Because they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they doubted. With the evidence that Jesus was gone, with the message that was Jesus was gone, or risen, rather, with the prophetic word of Jesus himself, they did not believe, and they were afraid. People have been afraid all through the Gospel of Mark. The disciples were afraid when Jesus calmed the sea in chapter 4, verse 41. Then right after that, the townspeople were afraid when Jesus uh, cast out legion from that man. And he was sitting in his right mind clothed. The people were afraid. Then after that, the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And she was healed. And Jesus said, who touched me? And then she was afraid. When Jesus was walking on the water, the disciples saw him walking on the water and they were afraid. When Peter and James and John were up on the Mount of, tr- of Transfiguration, they were afraid. And Peter started talking because he didn't know what to do. <clears throat> in Mark 9, it says, For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered in the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise to the third day. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. In Mark 10, 32, and they that were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed and as they were following, they were afraid. And he took again the 12 and began to tell them what things should happen unto them. All through Mark, the disciples and those who followed him were afraid. Jesus would do something and they would get afraid. The, the Jews would look at Jesus and they were afraid of what was going to happen to him, his fear. And so it continues. The angel declares the good news and they were afraid and didn't say anything. Peter was afraid um, whenever uh, he was questioned there um, while Jesus was being tried. The disciples who fled in the Garden of Gethsemane fled because they were afraid. Fear um, is rooted in the disciples all through the gospel. And the angel declares this good news and they were afraid and didn't say anything. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene who Jesus cast out the seven devils and she went and told the disciples who mourned and wept that their Lord who was dead is risen. You know think about why they'd be mourning and weeping. So Mary comes in to the disciples and they're mourning and weeping and said, I just saw Jesus. We can't see Jesus because Jesus is dead. We saw him arrested. He was crucified. Judas, our friend, betrayed him. We followed Jesus for these three years and now he's gone. You can't have seen Jesus because Jesus is dead. He was buried and laid in the tomb. Oh, but I saw him. No, we didn't. And they mourned and they wept, and they stayed together as their group. She told them that Jesus was not dead but alive. They didn't believe her. And I think chapter sixteen, verse twelve is Jesus on the road to Emmaus, is what I believe from Luke twenty-four. That's where Jesus appeared to the disciples but they didn't know it was Jesus that was talking to them the whole time. And then they were talking about, well, we've heard reports that there's an empty tomb, but we don't know what to think about all that and reports of angels giving messages and stuff. Well, when they go back to tell the company that they had seen Jesus, they still didn't believe. Everyone else didn't believe. Then we read that Jesus appears to the disciples as they ate. Was this just uh, all talk? Was it the the fancy of of some frightened women? Verse 14 tells us afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Jesus rebuked them. Because of their unbelief and the hardness of their hearts, because they would not believe the testimony. They wouldn't believe what someone told them. Someone came and told them the good news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and they wouldn't believe. And Jesus rebuked them because they wouldn't believe the testimony. They wouldn't believe. The preaching of the gospel. He said, You don't believe because your hearts are hardened. Now, at first, it might appear that their hearts were very tender because we find them weeping and mourning, and full of sorrow. But a hard heart isn't an emotionless heart. A hard heart is one that won't bend or yield to the Lord, and to God's word. It's being obstinate. It's being stubborn. It's being bullheaded towards God. So you can be very emotional and yet be very hard-hearted. When we think of hard-hearted as someone who crosses their, their hands on their chest and stomps their feet and says, I will not do it. You know that, That's a hard heart. But we also see a hard heart of weeping and mourning and emotional disciples who are also very sad that, that Jesus has died and they're, they're full of anxiety and fear. What are we going to do? I don't know what to do next. And Jesus said, you're being hard-hearted. Why? Well, they loved Jesus. That's why they were sad. They were tore up because of everything that had gone down and they, they weren't being haughty In the sense that that they just didn't care. But they would not believe the testimony no matter who told them. It didn't matter if it was an angel. It didn't matter if it was one of their number. It didn't matter from the road to Emmaus. It wouldn't matter if it was uh, Mary. Thomas didn't believe any of them. So I won't believe until I stick my finger in his side. It was all exasperated by their fears, but unbelief is the heart of all this. They would not believe the testimony. They would not believe the witness that Jesus rose from the dead. And so they wouldn't be comforted. They remained doubting and fearful, tempted to hide. They were afraid to speak. Well, a church can face that. We can be in danger of that if our hearts be full of fear and unbelief. We can be afraid to speak. We can be afraid to to speak out against wickedness. We can be afraid to to speak the gospel because of consequences that, that you might face. I was uh, joking with Elijah, (coughs) I said, uh, one of us mentioned uh, running for office. I said, well, the first thing you'd have to do was go and scrub all the sermons off the internet. (laughs) You'd have to do that first before running for any type of office. That's what uh, all the preachers who become politicians, that's what they do. They go and delete all their sermons off the internet first, then they run for office. Why? Because they get them in trouble. Well, we can't let this be out there. What I really believe and think about things, we have to hide that first, and then we can go out into the world and uh, do things. Well, that's being afraid to speak, That's being afraid to to hold the convictions that you hold to. Well, where's the where's that root come from? Well, it comes from unbelief, because if we truly believe what the scriptures say, then we shouldn't be afraid. To declare, thus saith the Lord. So being obstinate and stubborn and refusing to bend or yield to what is true has nothing to do really with the emotional state of the person or or how they act. So yes, the toddler who's sassy and refuses to listen to their parents is being stubborn, but they're hard-hearted. And it's not just, well, that's just the way little kids are. Well, that is the way the little kids are. But why are little kids like that? Well, it's because they're sinners. And their hard-heartedness is because of unbelief and rebellion. So you can be hard-hearted in unbelief and have a different temperament. You can be sad or depressed or full of sorrow or care. Our society says because you have all the feels and you can't be sinning, right? You you can't be wrong if you have emotions about it. Well, how could these people be, be doing wrong things? They're sad. They have emotions. But their emotions were the result of their unbelief. It wasn't an excuse because they were full of sorrow and fear and grief. Jesus said, no, your sin of fear Results from your unbelief. That's why you're afraid. Because of your unbelief. That's why you won't go and do as I had said. Because you don't believe. They were still full of sorrow and fear and grief because Jesus was dead. Right? Their emotions were the result of their unbelief. So Jesus didn't say, okay, I understand, guys. You're sad because... I'm dead and, you know, just, I understand. No, he abraded them. He he rebuked them. He said, you are afraid because you're full of sorrow and fear because I'm dead. But I'm not dead. I'm not dead anymore. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I told you that I was going to die, and I also told you I was going to rise from the dead. And then... I send you messengers to declare the good news that I have risen from the dead and you wouldn't believe. And so your current state is because you won't believe. And it's not because I didn't tell you. And it's not because you didn't have the truth. It's because you would not believe the truth. You would not heed to the truth. That's where their problem came in. It wasn't that Jesus kept the message from them. It was that they wouldn't hear the message. Sad state of affairs. How uh, dangerous unbelief is. Chapter 16 covers a period of 40 days. And starting in verse 15, we see a shift. We see devoted disciples now where Jesus commissions his church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, think about this. People had come to the come to them and said, Jesus is risen from the dead and they wouldn't believe it. But now Jesus says, now I want you to go into the whole world and preach the gospel. The disciples who themselves wouldn't believe the testimony of some of their own company are now going to go out into the world and tell the story of people who are hostile to Jesus. These men who are hard-hearted to the testimony and the witness of some of their own now to go out and to preach the gospel to them? What we have is, we see the unbelief of the disciples. And we're not going to get to the end of this. We're, we'll have to make this a two-part message. But, but what we have with these, with these disciples is what it is with and without Jesus. What a difference Jesus makes. When the disciples were with Jesus, they were very bold. When Jesus was gone, they were fearful and hiding and unbelieving and hard-hearted. And then Jesus comes back and says, No, I want you to go into all the, into all the world. The only way that this makes sense is, is if Jesus empowers his people. The only way this could be possible is if Jesus empowers these men. If Jesus continues to be with them. Because without Christ being with them, they're nothing. They don't have any strength of their own. And so what you have with the devoted disciples at the end is you have an example of what happens when Jesus ascends, but he goes with them. Their unbelief... Or their, all their problems came from their unbelief. And their unbelief was in what Jesus had said. He was dead, but he's not dead anymore. Praise God, he's not uh, dead anymore. May the Lord add the blessing to his word. And we'll stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Ask Brother R.B., if you would, to, to pray for us.